Welcome again to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, as we are actually recording in the morning. Howdy. And rain. 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 That's what we got. It is what we got. Now, of course, we are recording this on a Sunday morning, so it may beg the question that you know, should we actually call this the Sunday morning sports emporium since we usually do this on Sundays? But that point aside, lots of quality wares to sell you today. Uh, we're at the midway point of the MLB season. So we'll definitely take a look at the Detroit Tigers, how they're doing, other things along those lines. We've also hit the end of the season for both the NBA and the NHL. So we'll do wrap ups on those seasons, talk about. Uh, the drafts, um, free agency, trades, all that good stuff. We've been talking about that the last couple of shows, getting and diving into the wings and the pistons. And then we definitely have some golf things that we should cover. Um, We'll have a special guest appearance by Jamal Khashoggi's ghost. Um, And okay, so maybe not quite that morbid, but anyway, nothing like money to help soothe, you know, uh, righteousness. In any case, that point aside, not that you know my opinion on any of this, that point aside, we will kick things off today with the Detroit Tigers on this sports emporium. And, um, you know, one of the fun things about being a Tigers fan is is watching and i suppose this is probably true of any fan base but uh, except for except for maybe uh the marlins i think they have fans but i'm not sure um you know it's it's fun watching the message boards the the you know the twitter verse if you're allowed to i i am unverified on twitter so no i'm capped at 400 tweets or something a day that i can see I don't know, some such nonsense. Um, it's going great. Oh, is it 600 now? I don't know. Okay. So, um, <laughs> who shall not be named is doing a great job there. Um, and, but, but watching all of these things and all the message boards and there'll be trade rumors, all of that, it is so much fun to watch the Detroit Tigers fan base just melt down on a daily basis about whatever it is that they're choosing to melt down about. Now, they have some legitimate gripes. The Tigers have been bad for an extended period of time. I don't think anybody is arguing that, but things may not be as bleak as one would see. So we had this this whole thing going on about Spencer Torkelson being a bust and all of that good stuff. And it calmed down a little bit when he heated up has kind of come back again because he had a few games where he didn't hit. Um, I figured that's a good place to start. What, what's your feeling of the younger Tiger players right now? We can start with Torkelson. Obviously, we got Riley Green, and I'm guessing, Adam, you want to talk a little more about him. And some of the other young guys, BM trades or guys in the system. What's your feeling as we're at the halfway point? I'm fine with where we're at, right? I'm fine with the players that are on the roster 
and, and, and you know, you, you have a collection of guys that are on the roster because there's the, the spots to be filled. Okay, fine. I don't need to focus on that. Um, in the end, I mean, they, they went out and got Matt Verling, and, and, and that has turned out to be a, an absolutely awesome pickup. Um, not the sexiest pickup, but an awesome pickup. Right, there was a stat that hit him, and uh, these areas were both number one and two in terms of batting average in June. That's pretty incredible when you consider how good uh, Arias has been from uh, uh, the Marlins. Uh, but but talking and then moving on to Riley being he he obviously his injury, and I, I go back to spring training of last year when we I talked about uh, I was really concerned about Riley Green being injured because I really thought he was the spiritual leader of this team. I really thought that he, his swagger is, was something that this team fed upon. And there was some truth to that kind of shown last year. Um, and I think this year is definitely even more uh, the case is that with Riley Green out of the lineup, uh, this team definitely suffers both from, uh, defensively in center field, uh, along with his bat that was just starting to really come into form, right? Um, just, and, and then lastly, I think uh, when you're looking at a guy like Spencer Torkelson, uh, you know, I, on one side, negative I'll offer you is I, I, I get a little it seems like his swing is really inconsistent, the rhythm. He's still trying to figure out that rhythm. And I think, uh, and I, and at the same time, I'm frustrated because I don't know if the batting coaching is as good as it needs to be with Spencer to make sure that that consistency is there. Seeing all, all that, the commentary around Spencer Torkelson is really mind-boggling from the standpoint that he started the season absolutely terrible, right? And batting average is, is slowly but surely coming up. Yeah, we have potholes in the season where he, he's lost. but And then we, we, we get going again. And by the way, and, and so far, the biography that we've just given about Spencer Torkelson you can substitute for a lot of different players. I mean, the player that everyone wants to talk about is Ellie De Carrez, uh, the guy from Cincinnati. Yeah, that guy has great games where he looks unstoppable, and then he doesn't hit the ball for like a, a week and a half. So I, I, there's a lack of perspective with, with, with Spencer uh, Torkelson, but the reality to me is that this team is where it is, and but, but the biggest thing I would say about Corkelson that tells me that he's going to be really good is the fact that how many walks this guy is taking on a regular basis. And that's telling me that that for the most part, pitching staffs are going, I don't want any part of that guy. And we're just going to throw it around. And that lack of information and the analysis being added to Spencer Torkelson, which makes it even more frustrating for a guy, a young guy like him, that if he does kind of get his rhythm out of place, and part of that is, is that he barely ever gets the pitch to hit. So there you go. I, I'll, I'll stop. And Brandon, by all means, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm riveting uh, podcasting here. I don't have 
much of a different take. I mean, you know, what I have been saying since the beginning of last season is that you cannot if fairly evaluate the young talent on this roster because you have no talent outside of it. And I'm just going to stick with that until that changes. I just, it, it just, the reason why they can pitch around someone that frankly isn't all that hard to get out at this point in his career is because there's no one else. Like the team shouldn't be pitching around him right now. He is, you can get him out pretty easily. He's going to have a lot of strikeouts this year and that's okay. I'm not knocking him. I'm quite the opposite. A very big Spencer Corkleton fan, but he's not that much of a threat. Um, he can hit the ball very hard. And if we were in a different park in a different lineup, Maybe he would be a little bit more formidable right now, but it just speaks to the lack of depth. And they're not afraid of anybody, you know, and there are some guys that are going to have career years here because they're getting a lot of pitches to hit because they are in that second tier, you know, McKistry uh, and Veerling being the two most prominent, Badu's coming back a little bit, but it's all because they're seeing pitches because they're just one tier down from a couple of these young guys that are getting all the pitches to that are getting pitched around. So, no, I think the the – the where our young talent is is just fine I, the problem is everything else the problem is what's what's your pathway to get to a championship contending team and i don't see one yet and so i'm going to continue to not say stupid things on message boards but i'm going to continue to be irritated until i see a pathway to a championship contending team and you know likely going to deal out a, a fair bit of talent at the deadline and uh, I don't, then I guess do something, hope for something. Um, and you know, I won't, won't jump ahead here a couple topics down, but if you're watching the Red Wings, that's something is not happening as they are uh, on the outer end, on the, on the edges of their, their completion of their process and nothing's happening. They're dealing young talent. They're getting nothing in return. They're signing no one. They're trading for no one. Like, you know, at some point, you know, if you want the fans to back off, you have to show them how you're going to get good again. You, you know what doesn't help, though, just in Brandon and the state. You know, you're looking at a guy like Isaac Creed, he's down in uh, Tampa, right? And 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 mind you, that was the, the last general manager that made that that deal. But it from the op, the optics of that looks so terrible, right? Because you get a guy like Creed, he's probably in a lot of ways top twenty you know, hitter in the American League. Now, mind you, that's strictly stacks oriented and probably so much uh, related to the lineup that he's hitting in and just being awesome from one to nine, right? So, so, so that helps, right? But regardless, you look at Candelario, he, he's been very respectable. Um, you, I, I've had people bring up, and, and they don't know Justin from anyone, they could, hey, look, the Castro brothers are being productive in their, um, uh, you know, de- destinations, right? We will have a Castro corner today, yes. Okay, good, good, good. I wouldn't be feel normal without one. Um, but th- th- that's where I think it's like, oh, well, we don't have any major league hitting to support the young guys. But then the, these guys over here, they, they, they leave and, and they're off to, to, to you know to do whatever. It, 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 it's very frustrating, I think, the fan base, well, especially a fan base that has not seen a winner here in almost 20 years. Or and, excuse me, a, 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 quite a period of time. So. Yeah, and, and, and here, here's the thing. <laughs> and this goes back to, and, and give Brandon credit for saying this, way back in the day of they need to have some bats in the lineup. And I, I push back against that a little bit of going out and signing the, 
you know, Nick Swisher, Mike Napoli type pick, because I don't see that as part of a long-term solution. But when you do look at it in terms of having protection in the order, it makes a lot, lot of sense because here's the thing they need. And we've talked about this again in the past. They need to go out and sign a Pudge Rodriguez, Maglio, whatever, overpay because you get that protection in the lineup for these guys. And it has been made uber clear. Jamer Candelario is not a bad major league player. He's not great, but he goes and hits really not even that much better of a lineup. No. And he plays really solidly. Yeah. And Harold Castro is out doing Harold Castro things. He's really no different, but, but Willie Castro, who I've been a fan of going back, as you well know, you put him in a better lineup and you let him just kind of go. And one of the things mm-hmm. that really, really jumped out to me is the fact that in his Tigers career, five seasons, part of some seasons, he stole 18 bases. Uh, as of last week, he had stolen 13. I haven't looked at his stats this week. But it also goes to show you philosophically how the Tigers have operated. And it's not doing those little things, not doing the base running things, not turning guys loose for their natural. Maybe he has natural ability in that way. Nobody Nobody has ever argued that he doesn't have some natural talent. It's whether or not he can actually employ it in the majors. And it's not letting those guys do those things. And it's one of the things that has made me hopeful this season is, is they, the Tigers have really focused on base running this season. And we have seen, and I, I got to find the Sabre metrics on it because I haven't done that research, but like there's some good stats on first to third and what have you. And I would like to think, the Tigers are making good use of that right now. They have one of the fastest teams in the league. Um, statistically, you know, because they track sprint speed now, like Veerling is in the top 5% of players in the league in sprint speed. Um, so, so these are all really nice, positive things that we've been talking about. But I can't argue with the whole idea that if you don't have a bat to protect some of these guys, there's just... I mean, what are you, what, what you going to do with it? And why? Well, well, we'll move into this topic here in a second, but why even bring up some of the younger guys? Because I know there's earlier in the season, it was like, oh, my God, we have this huge gaping hole with Cabrera in there. True story. You know, why is Jonathan Scope still in the lineup? Why is Nick Maton still in the lineup? I mean, there, there, there are legitimate things to talk about there. But who on earth are they going to bring up and what good is it going to do? And that has always been my argument. Um, now we'll talk about some potential guys coming up here in just a minute, but I did want to shift gears over to, uh, the pitching side and, and really the staggering fact that the Tigers have lost full pitching staffs for the last two seasons, full starting rotations for the last two seasons. And then some, and, and again, there's been a lot of frustration with Joey Wentz. Understandably, he's not pitching well, right? But, but he's like 11th on our depth chart for starting pitchers. So when you put in your 11th starting pitcher, yes, he's not going to be great. I don't know what else to, to, to say. Um, and it just makes you wonder, what on earth? I mean, did we piss off the baseball gods? Is that what it was? Is it that we, you know, there's something in our training regimens that's really screwed up? Or did we just draft Brit- Brittle? Brit- no, so, 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 you know, I actually decided to go down this path. 
okay. earlier this week, just because I was so curious. And what I found, I don't have the numbers on last year, and I must assume that the Tigers have had probably the worst luck over the two seasons. Just going to throw that out there. What I will say is they are far from an aberration this year. I count at least 10 teams with eight pitchers on the disabled list right now. The Tigers are not even leading the league in the number of their pitchers that are injured. The Dodgers are. They have they have 11 pitchers out right now. And wow. they have four pitchers out that are better than anyone on our roster, for the most part. Maybe other than Erod, from a pitching standpoint. So, I mean, they're all their big guns are Syndergaard's out, Kershaw's out. They're all hurt. Bueller's out. They're all hurt at the same time. Like, there's almost 150 pitchers on the DL right now in Major League Baseball. I haven't counted every single team. Easily clears 100. I would assume between 125 and 150 between starters and relief pitchers. Like, that's that, that's, nuts. that's 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 something systemic that's happening right now. And certainly the Tigers have had very bad luck. But they're not alone. They are not alone. I mean, even just looking at some of the other teams, like the, the Red Sox have like 15 guys on the disabled list right now. Like, the Dodgers have like 13. Like, it's crazy. It is just crazy. I wonder how much the pitch clock has to do with that. I, I don't know. I just couldn't believe it when I went because I was like looking at, at the Tigers and I'm just like, what does this look like for other teams? And it just, I was just blown away by what I, what I saw in terms of the injuries. Adam, what were you going to say? I, I just know watching, I, I made a purpose of making sure to watch a game or two of uh, the uh, Rangers series because they were kind of starting at a better time than the usual home uh, series. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I sit down there for the first game, right? For, you know, Matt, Matt Boyd to sit there and, and pitch and I watch him get injured. And then, and then I hear Will Vest get injured the next inning. And I'm like, wow, wow. I, I just, I just stand there kind of numb watching going that this is absolutely ridiculous. Well, I texted Brandon when Boyd got hurt. And uh, I mean, the way Boyd threw, I'm like, oh, Tommy John right there and literally by the next day they had announced he was going to have tommy john and the day after he had the surgery that doesn't happen with john i mean so he clearly just screwed up that ligament like in a bad bad way and chances are he was fighting it for quite a while and didn't want to be out of the lineup and it just finally just gave up Um, again a guy who's been pretty pretty healthy in his career and He's walked a lot of a lot of innings in his career, and you know, just just blew out on him. Yeah, no, no, no. I just, you know, but again, just watching it's, that, it's that single game was was unbelievable. I, I just could not could not write my mind around it. And then they ended up winning the game after all that. So that 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 was the uh, and I thought you know and 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 I think. You know, just to kind of go, you know, how we started this conversation with the Tigers. The the in the end, you go down, you you face a team that has uh, committed uh, serious money uh, to their lineup, uh, and, and you know Jake Degrom, uh, and and you still go out on the road based on what's happened, and you go and and you take two out of four from the Rangers. I I thought, and and don't get me wrong, a couple of those games were absolutely awful. You did not play very well in in, in them. But the bottom line was is that you, you scraped together something uh, of of a series there to continue to at least get competitive in not a great division. In, in, in That's a very right. kind way of putting it. <laughs> but 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 the point being is that the the the, the potential 
uh, goal there can still be potentially uh, yes. yes yes and no, I, I, I think yeah we need to talk and, about that. and and here we are we're going into this week you're going to get Tarek Skubal back arguably your best pitcher on the on the staff on, in your organization and you're going to go ahead and get Eduardo Rodriguez back going into this week right and last week you did get Matt Manning and I thought you know I I, I mean they kind of went a little long with Matt I understood why um but um you you have the the the, the makings of your pitching staff that has been pretty good but thank God that you got these arms coming back because I think then your your bullpen can be hopefully less taxed. Well, right? I was just going to say by bringing not only bringing Scooble and Erod back next week, which is amazing. I mean, in terms of quality of pitching, we actually will have five starters now. I mean, we've yeah. been operating with three and four starting pitchers for weeks, and I mean, long enough to where even the 1984 Tigers arms are starting to twitch because like just ridiculous, ridiculous damage being done to the starting rotation, causing these bullpens to really get taxed. And they've done a fantastic job on the whole. No, no question. Um, But it's just huge to get those two arms back. You actually have a complete rotation you actually get to hopefully start using your bullpen in a more normal way. And, and, and that leads us really into that next conversation, which is the Tigers actually have an opportunity here. Maybe I I can't even say those words out loud, but like, why not? I mean, why, why they, why don't they have a shot? They're five games out halfway through the year and they're getting all their arms back. They do. And Riley and Akil Badu started his rehab assignment yesterday. Green will start probably this week. So that's going to be two more bats back into the lineup. Green being the most important, obviously, but still Badu is going to be an upgrade over Riznik, for example, or what have you. But um, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, and and the Nick Baton experiment has ended for the moment, um, and uh, and I don't blame the Tigers for doing that either. Um, Cabrera mm-hmm. is no longer a liability in the lineup, at least primarily as big of a liability. He can't run, but um, compared to what? I mean, well, he was hitting what he had like a four hundred OPS. Now it's six fifty. I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, he's the worst DH in the American League. Obviously. Well, that's but, a liability, who, isn't it? Like, you say you're but, the worst at your position, like that—that that says well, liability to me. <laughs> like, well, okay. I mean, I guess when you're when you're trying to assess it from the standpoint, uh, I mean, are they going to change that this season? I mean, no. well, so I mean, so we no, we, we could put Tyler Nevin in there. I mean. We could put Jonathan Scope in there. We could put Nick Maton in there. I mean, okay. It is what it is. They're not going to get any better. That is true. Um, so my point being that it isn't as bad as it was at the beginning of the season. That was my whole point. And after a very bad June, 
they're still five games out, which is mm-hmm. absurd because um, they are not a good team. But you never know what might happen. They got a shot. Um, but I, I think, you know, reality will set in in August, right? Yeah. They will they will heave talent from their roster as every other Detroit team uh, does right now, other than maybe the Lions, which is bizarre to say. Uh, they will heave all the talent away, and then things will happen. We don't know what those things are, but things will happen. And then we'll win? I don't know. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the Pistons. I'm waiting for the Red Wings. I'm waiting for the Tigers. And and we'll just recycle talent forever. All three teams. Forever. That's where we are. I am it's just it's in maddening. We could be the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> or the Padres. Yeah. So I think Padres made it as Fiat last year. Something. Yeah. So, um, what? One, one last subject before we move on from Tigers. I, I guess what, what's the general feeling of the approach that the organization should take with Parker Meadows and, and Colt Most at this point? It, 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 what What would you both be looking to do based on, especially Colt seems to have already lit AAA on, on fire and, and he seems to have found the the fountain of, of good batting uh, this year um, and, and for a team struggling offensively like the Tigers are. And, I mean, there's games they'll go out and they'll be like gangbusters and then the next two or three it'll be they, you know, the, the baseballs are for an object and they're really not sure what to do with it. So I, Um, we'll see with Colt Keith. I mean, as I talked about in the last show, you know, they do not want to bring these guys up probably before the end of July. Um, they will, if there are trades and what have you, but, but they're absolutely waiting to the last possible minute to avoid the super two status. Um, so barring something really surprising, we won't see Colt Keith. I actually don't think we'll see him until September at the earliest because they're continuing along that path of they need to get the at-bats at each level. I don't necessarily hate that, um, but you do have to make case-by-case decisions on this stuff. Keith seems to be having a breakout year, but let's see what happens when he's played a couple weeks in AAA. Um, And then in terms of Parker Meadows, um, I still would argue he's not ready. Um, now could he potentially be better than some of the other guys potentially? Um, but if right now our outfield is green, um, green carpenter, veerling, Badu, that's a pretty solid outfield. So I'm not like wanting to rush Parker Meadows to the team. Um, could see him getting called up in September though. Um, totally. So, so in terms of those players, that that's kind of how I'm looking at that. And you know, there there is some hope on the horizon. Not a lot of hope, but some. Yeah, I agree. I I don't 
as as frustrated as I am with where their batting order is, I would not use the youth in the system to try to remedy that problem. I think that only exacerbates it. So I think Justin's exactly right. I think what frustrates me is that, you know, Harris seems very unlikely to do anything outside of baseball convention, uh, which means he's not going to solve this problem this year. And this is something that I think the NBA does very well is the NBA really values expiring contracts and baseball doesn't seem to. Uh, but if, if I'm Scott Harris, you have enough young pieces that you could, there's going to be teams that are trying to like hurl away terrible contracts right now uh, and try to get anything back for them. Other rebuilding teams, you can go take a flyer on one of those guys, but you'd have to give up some assets in return and he's not going to do that. But again, it perpetuates the challenge. Um, which is that, yeah, you know, financially you could eat a, a relatively small amount of money. Yeah, you might have to give, you know, an asset back in return, but, you know, he, they're not going to do that. And so, you know, you're going to continue to stifle your players uh, at the major league level because you can't can't field a, a major league batting order. And, uh, you know, that's a great point because why not go out and eat up some contract? There are absolutely teams who will hand away these players without having to give up significant players that yeah. we've heard of. Right. You exactly. know, some depth in the system, no question. You would, you would have to give up, but I don't disagree. Um, it's just, and it's just, again, it's not about competing for the division, right? That's not, I mean, it, it's about, you know, giving, giving your guys a chance to maintain a semi-winning culture. Um, and I think that is ultimately what gives me some encouragement this year is that they can see um, what competitive baseball looks like, at least in the context of their division, if not anywhere else uh, in the majors. And, and that builds something, right? They're, they're, they're competing much better this year. You can see it on the field. You can see it in the dugout. You can see it in even Hinch's body language and his post games. Like you can feel the culture building. I'm just, I fear that if the bug, the injury, injury bug continues to bite, you're, you know you're probably going to lose Erod at the deadline. Maybe another piece or two that you know you could you could get to a place where you're in a, a real nasty down downhill slide through the end of the year, and that could impact on the spring training. Because you know if any of these guys have setbacks, they're going to be very cautious with guys like Green and and some of these young arms. They will shut them down mm-hmm. um, come August. You know, so we just I fear a loss of momentum um, at this deadline. Sure. Uh, reasonable to believe Cisnero will get traded as well. Um, those are probably the two most likely Erod Cisnero. Although, you know, we have lots of pitchers who've gotten experience this year, so maybe they'll be back. I, who knows? Um, and, and Harris seems to be really good at going out and finding guys on the scrap heap to recycle. Um mm-hmm. And he's gotten innings out of him. Uh, Zach Logue pitched really well yesterday. Um, not a guy I expected to see in the majors this year. Uh, has been terrible in AAA. <laughs> but what do you got to do? Not an easy assignment either. No. Going against that line, that lineup in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. That's a recipe to get you know 12 runs uh, hung <laughs> on you. It really is. So. All right, enough with the Tigers for the moment. We'll go on to another team that I, I suspect I've I've my spidey senses are telling me that Brandon is going to have some opinions about the Detroit Red Wings. Um, although I think it's interesting because the, 
the Wings have done a lot in the last two days. Uh, they have gone out and signed a whole bunch of humans, one small trade, uh, and then obviously the draft. So I'm just going to turn the floor over to UB, and you just tell us how you feel. Yeah, I mean, it's you can see exact same thing he's done the last several years. He's made smart, sensible decisions that increase the floor of the team and do nothing to propel them into being a playoff team. Nothing. And he has made, in my opinion, the first horrific signing of his tenure in Detroit, and that is the kid out of Colorado, uh, giving him a five-year deal at $5 million plus, playing on that team with significant minutes, has never cleared 20 goals in his career. And he is the third highest player on our team. That is a terrible, terrible signing. And, you know, you, you dumped your ass, you heaved Bertuzzi away last year. That's a 30-goal score. Where are you getting those 30 goals from? Was he going to leave in free agency? Probably. But that's a 30-goal score you have not replaced. What's your replacement for Gronick? What are you doing there? Like, okay, they brought back James Reamer. Congratulations. You don't have, you know, Bob Asenza as your backup goalie anymore. Where, where is, where is, where is the production going to come from? You, you traded away four potential top six forwards that, that had that arc that were either there or had that arc in the last two years. Where are you, who are you replacing them with? You know, chucking line guys from the Oilers. You know, back, you know, fifth and sixth defensemen. Like, what are you doing? Where you have a ton of cap space. You're not doing anything with it. Like, I, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he expects to change. Like, and this is, again, what I fear about the about the Tigers. Is you're going to make all of the, you're going to go buy the book. You're going to clear all your cap space. You're going to have all the pieces set up and no talent's coming back in the door. Like, what is the objective of these rebuilds that in this city seem to last forever? Like we got it wrong. Like, like the Pittsburgh pirates are a competitive baseball team again. Like they were garbage two years ago, you know, and they're selling their stadium out and they are a couple games outside of 500 and in a competitive national league. Right. Like these teams are making quick an expansion team just won the Stanley cup for Christ's sake. And they've been very good their entire existence. The Wings have been uh, rebuilding longer than they've been a team. <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, I'll give the franchise a break, given the run that they went on from the mid-80s to, you know, the early 2010s. So, I mean, I'm not, like, jumping on down, up and down on them like I would the Lions or whatever. But, like, what's what? when are we going to do something? When are we going to do something that on its face might look like a really bad big swing? I, I would rather they almost fail at a Juan Soto deal, fail at a Kevin Durant deal, than this garbage. At least give us something exciting to watch, for God's sakes. You know what the wings? The the, the funny part is, is that, that this rebuild has been so long and painful, and I do wonder. You know, and and I think sometimes too is that the ownership stuck with Kenny Holland as long as they did. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah, so much of what happens in these rebuilds, you do have to go back to the top, right? You you do have to go back to the top where, um, you know, in, in the case of, you know, the Illich family, uh, that they were, they were almost lion-esque 
in their in their dedication and loyalty to the Kenny Hollands and the um, uh, El Avila, um, uh, you know, tenures, and 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 that really really has when when you don't have people in those roles that understand about building an organization, especially when we when you're talking about baseball and hockey, it's it's a real it's a real drag on the ability of your franchise to be able to go ahead and get started. And when you, you know, Brandon brings up the, you know, the Pirates, right. And, and, but my guess is that the Pirates front office was significantly better in terms of being able to go out and get talent and evaluate that, that, that talent. But going back to the Red Wings, um, I, you, you, you just know because of how long, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Holland was in that role, and and there really not being a, an organizational plan that not only was drafting, you know, the right players, but th- there was actually a strategy behind that. And say what you will about Steve Eisenman at this point, and and to your and, and just like Brandon said, trying to you know go ahead and continue to to bring the floor up and and. You, you you do want something daring, but and Brandon, I, I guess I, I go back to to you on this point. Is are are you towering of a move that? And, and again, I I'm, this is random. So bear with me though. Um, the, the the guy out of Ottawa, would you be willing to trade most cider for him? Right. Yeah. Well, are, okay. <clears throat> and I just wonder. My my take too with the the, the 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 Red Wings is that they've got guys that they want, and they're not going to trade. And those same players are the only ones that are really going to bring in the guys that are going to be an elevator for this franchise. I'll, I'll tell you what would I would I deal to bring Cat from Cider? Probably not. Would I be much more interested in considering if Chronic was still here? Yes. And this is the thing. Like, these deals get exponentially worse when you heave all of your talent away from your team. Like, and if they had kept a couple of those guys, maybe you wouldn't need it to bring Cat. Who I am in favor of them going out and trying to get by reasonable means. Because um, he is a 40-goal scorer. But, like, it, it just, we're in this perpetual cycle. We can't escape it. Uh, and I... You know, and I am I am getting to the place where I'm willing to consider that stuff. Like it, if you if you, if I went back in time and to answer a hypothetical from last year, I might have traded Mize and Torkelson for Soto, because I'm just so sick and tired of the forever rebuild. And and, may, and maybe that'd be a disastrous move, but maybe it won't be. You know, if Mize can't come back, then maybe it wouldn't have been right. And and I'm just saying. These teams, the Pistons, the Red Wings, and the Tigers have to start considering that thinking if they're going to break through this blob of rebuild. And yeah, you might make some whoppers of some bad choices, but you may also hit it big, and you may also find yourself with an ex, you know, Miguel Cabrera type talent, right? Right. You know, they traded a lot for him at the time. They traded a lot for him. In retrospect, obviously, we stealed and pillaged and destroyed that franchise, but we dealt a lot for him. We did. I mean, you had both Mabin and Miller who were he, highly, highly touted prospects yeah. and four other guys and who all but one yeah. made the majors. Yeah. So it was a big haul. 
Yeah. You know, like, and, and, and Maven and Miller didn't have bad, bad MLB careers either. They just aren't a, nope. you know, a first ballot generational hitter. Like, but still like the Dabrowski will take those gambles. He will not do it by the book. He'll go for it, you know? And, but, 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 but I think the other thing too, like, you know, for example, we talked about Erod and, and him being potentially traded at the deadline. I, I would continue to go say that probably he will not be dealt at the trade deadline. And that's because he's got no more time on his contract, right? This is the last year. And in general, trades in the trade deadline for Major League Baseball are drastically different today than they were 10 years ago. No one's giving up a top five organizational player for an Erod. Yes, he's a good player, very valuable. He might be worth it, but the point being is organizations are not doing that. Right. And, and, and there's always this, well, this is what you should do, but you cannot continue to say what should be done based on standards that were five years ago and, or, or even 10 years ago, I think, in baseball, where you would get you know, two, two top five and, and, and 10. Yeah. You know, I, and, I mean, that is actually a, a f- fantastic point. And I think there is some carryover frustration that I, <laughs> and some of the fans have from the fact that we missed that window, right? Like Al Avila approached the trade deadline exactly like it was approached 10 years ago. And you can watch almost every single guy he traded be a well above average major league pit player today. All of them. All of them, Verlander, you know, Martinez, go down the list. They're all still playing good baseball. Castellanos, like, you know, with very with a couple of exceptions, some due to age and, and injury, like all of those guys can help teams win and are helping teams win championships. You know, and we're yeah. sitting here with I don't even know what the hell we have left from all those deals. Not much. Not much. Paredes is gone, Candelario's gone, like it's pretty grim. You know, and that, I think that is some leftover frustration I'll own in terms of how he handled that. But look at like we emptied out the cupboard and the cupboard is still productive. Very in some cases, like, you know, Cy Young's and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we knew those players were still going to be productive. We weren't trading them away because we thought they sucked. We traded them away because we thought we couldn't resign them. And that, I think, also gets back to organizationally. And one of my big fears with the Tigers is uh, why didn't they think they could sign them? Right. They didn't like, want to we, sign them. What's that? They didn't want to sign them. Right. And that is much more concerning to me than the fact that we made the trades. It was yeah. why we made the trades. Fair enough. Yeah. And if the Tigers aren't going to spend the money, then this is a lost proposition. Um, because you got to spend money to have a winning team. And it remains to be seen if Chris Illich is willing to do that. But going back to the Red Wings really quick, you know, I guess they still, after the signings they've made, which, like you said, Brandon, are, are very reasonable for the most part signings. Comfort may have Don't been like a reach, and, and that will – I really wanted – Eisman to go out and get a top six defenseman and, or a, um, rather a top two defenseman and a top six forward. Yes. The defenseman was going to be tough with this class. Um, you know, picking up Justin Hole was, that was a steep price to pay for really a third pairing right hand, but a right-handed shooting defenseman. He's very okay. 
um, fine. Uh, and then they picked up um, got a spear um, for, on a one-year deal, plugs a hole. Um, the defensive core is fine. It's not great. It's fine. And if um, the young defenseman, whose name I cannot think of right now, um, starts with an E, if he comes up and plays, I think that changes this. And, and they have some young guys in the system who may come up and produce. Okay, that's fine. You know, Reimer is the backup goaltender. Fine. Alex Leon, they picked up to be basically basically the third string, although he could even – I mean, he played on the Panthers. He was the backup in the Panthers in the playoffs. Actually played in some playoff games last year. So, um, okay. Um, it was really, though, adding that other top six forward, in my mind. It was adding the goal scoring because they're missing that goal scoring. And, again, you pick up a guy like a Daniel Sprong. They traded for – excuse me traded for another um young guy like these are these are kids who score 15 20 goals so if you're adding them to beef up your third and fourth line that's great but you Mm -hmm. still gotta have and comfort is that guy uh he's not you spend five and a half million on him when you got tarasenko out there you have patcheretti out there you have bertuzzi out there and again these guys are not like complete hockey players in, in in all these regards, but like, why not go spend eight million on Tarashenko and and That's swallow that too. contract versus five for Comfort, who can't score more than twenty goals on Colorado? Like, you got some like legitimate guys that can just score out there in free agency right now, and that's why I'm so frustrated. Like, these guys can just straight up score goals. You can get 30 out of, like, five guys still on the open market. Maybe they still go get one. I hope they do. They need one. They have so much grit and so many two-way forwards. You can hide a Tarasenko in your your top six right now. You can pull that off, especially if you had, to Justin's point, you know, a top six defenseman. But you do all this maneuvering. You go out and you sign, you know, a guy in a one-year deal for for $4 million. Orlov's still on the market. Why not go get him? Yeah, he's going to cost you seven or eight million on a long-term deal, but why not? He's a good defenseman. He's thirty-one. Like, make moves. Stop eating around the edges. Yeah. Um. Any commentary on draft day? And Orlov did sign. Oh, did he? Okay. He did. Yeah. Two years, 15.5. So not crazy. That was very doable. Draft day to me very much came across to me as, as Stevie Y staying the course and not, not worrying about anyone saying anything and so forth. And we've got a plan. We're going to stick with the plan. We're going to continue to store up draft bits and that's that. And, uh, you know, from a very casual hockey fan, Red Wing fan standpoint, I, I'm on everyone's page here. It's kind of time to make a splash. And uh, it appears that, that that's not the strategy that is in, in need of being used here, according to Stevie Y and the rest of the Red Wing organization. So We haven't even got, we haven't even got to the Pistons yet. I don't even know if I have the strength. <laughs> 
Look, I'll, it's, I'll get... it's getting progressively worse. We'll get to the Pistons in a moment. Um, just as a quick recap for um, for the Red Wings draft, Nate Danielson is probably a really good pick, first-round pick. Um, probably won't make the NHL this year. Will be an NHL player. Um, really, really solid two-way center. Um, and when you think about I, – I, and I'm, I'm willing to give Eisenman the benefit of the doubt as it comes to draft picks. He has drafted well thus far. Um, Marco Casper is likely going to make the NHL. Uh, well, he played a game last year. I mean, uh, you know, Raymond went right to the NHL. Cider is excellent. So, so I think Danielson, really good pick. And I really like his second pick. Um, Sandy Palika or Palilka or however the heck you say his name, uh, Palika, I think. Um, he's the kind of player, Brandon, you're kind of talking about in a Tereshenko, who, by the way, was the first guy I thought of I'd love to have on the roster when I looked at the free agent list, but this is an undersized defenseman with Paul coffee esque offensive ability. Defense is kind of optional, um, but they consider him the best puck mover in the draft. 17 year old who got time in the Swedish elite league last year, that good destroyed Swedish under 18 league. I mean, point per game pace um, as a defenseman. Um, not going to play in the NHL this season. Probably is a couple years away from the NHL. But one of those guys who could be just an absolute difference maker at the NHL level. Um, love the fact that he went out and got a guy like that. Um, rest of the draft was pretty mediocre, I felt like. Um, I mean, not bad. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, uh, some some of the, the breakdowns I read said the defensemen, the Wings drafted a couple of just massive defensemen um, who were quote unquote mean as hell. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't hate that in my defensemen. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing else really stood out to me. Um, I thought the goalie that they picked up, Augustine, might, might have been a bit of a, of a, of a reach at where he was technically very, very sound goaltender, though. So we'll see what happens. Um, and, um, yeah. I, and I'm, I mean, I'm not on the fire Stevie Y bandwagon. I'm not on the – Iserman's doing a bad job. I'm not on any of that. I mean, I just – I'm waiting for the capital that this team – is has amassed in in many ways to pay off and there were just and again free agency is you know 36 hours old but like he did all the right things to me like i was okay with all of the deals last year because of the fact that they had two first round picks and they had a ton of cap space and you could do so much with that and they didn't and now they just signed another guy i think while we've been talking who scored 13 goals last year christian fisher yeah, I just saw that come up. He's isn't he like six foot six? Maybe he'll play. He'll be a defenseman too. I don't know, but like it's just oh, it's just loading up the team with just mediocre forwards. Like what? What is the? This was what we dealt all that talent away for last year. I mean, we tell we dealt established talent last year. We de- we dealt talent that was drafted that never quite panned out, but still could pan out. We dealt established offensive. De- I mean, we dealt all across the board. We we dealt all this talent last year, and this is the return we've got. 
Like that's not good. And maybe again, maybe he's still got a big signing, a big forward he, well, can, he can bring in here. But yeah, there is the still. Difference. I was gonna say there's probably still at least eight mil in cap room because uh, he's got some unrestricted guys. He's still got to sign and what have yeah. you. But um, even with Fisher here, I think he's still got eight to ten mil in cap room. So there is still room for that. And I, I hope he does. I really do. I hope there's another impact player, really at any position at this point, um, that comes along, preferably at forward. But So moving on to um, the Pistons. Um, I'm not even quite certain what to make of what has happened with the Pistons. So I'm just going to go ahead and just sit back and relax and let you guys take it from here because I, I mean, do we want, do we want to talk about uh, Mahati? Do we want to talk about, what do we want to talk about? You know, I, I, I do want to jump into Mahati though. I think that, you know, we, we got done with the last show and, and, and one of the themes that I brought up is that the, the ownership couldn't be any worse than it has been in terms of being able to make commitments of getting this franchise to a point where we're somehow there's a 180 and we can start looking at something positive. I think the, the selection and the pursuit of money was absolutely fantastic. It was exactly what the organization needed. Exactly the coach that you needed based on the players that you had. Um, and, we went ahead and in my mind, um, you know, the, 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 there, there was finally a stake in the ground put in by Tom Forrest that said, we've got to do what's best for our, our franchise. And that's what he did. He put his money where his mouth was and, and, and he, he absolutely did it. Um, and I think, especially when you consider what Monty did in terms of even like a Devin Booker, Devin Booker, a great NBA player, no doubt about it. But he took Devin Booker and he not only just made him, he took him from a just straight up shooter to a much better all around basketball player. And that's something that I can easily see him coming and do with guys like Shalem Duran, Shaden Ivy, and of course, Kate. Right. I, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do. I think the other thing is, and, and I know the, the whole world here was pandering for Cam Johnson. And, oh, well, you know, he played with Monty, and that should be a good matchup. But not once did I hear potentially that, that Monty goes, I don't want Cam. I don't think he's the guy for our team, despite all the armchair NBA analysts that we have in this uh, in this town. So, and I think <clears throat> as far as the draft goes, you know, Brandon. As far as the, the I, I I think the talent in this draft was so unbelievably terrible that I don't care who you went out. I mean, once you didn't get number one, you going out and getting anything. It, it's 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 literally like going and playing Hino. Yeah, yeah, it was a very poor draft, and um, I actually liked their draft. I thought um, he did 
he made two good picks. You know, he traded up for Sasser. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Thompson twins, they are relative unknowns. We don't know the quality of talent they're playing against. It's hard to judge. Um, but I have absolutely no problem with a gamble at that pick because Cam Whitmore, Drace Walker, you know, I would almost invoke the Tigers role with those guys. Like, yeah, I mean, if you put them on a good basketball team or a team, the pieces around them fit, they could have a pretty nice start to their career here. You know, I'd, I'd rather almost they took a swing like they did on the, on the Thompson guy, you know, just because he's got crazy size uh, and, and the potential to be a very, very good defender. Uh, and Sasser was a solid pick. You know, they're adding three-point depth. They're realizing that. So from the draft perspective, I was I, – I wouldn't say I was happy because the talent was so poor, but it, I thought they acquitted themselves well. I think the question is, is that what I, – I mean, it's almost like Troy Weaver is, like, toying, like, like messing with us. Like, he's trying a new strategy, which I guess to have, like, 15 guys that can all kind of play basketball in the NBA – but none of them all that well. Like, I guess that's new, right? I mean, we'll have the first 12-man rotation. Um, so I guess we got that going for us. Like, I I, I, I don't know what – again, it, it, he acquires two expiring contracts of guys that actually kind of fill needs for them. They needed more three-point shooting on the perimeter. They go get a Joe Harris, big contract expiring. Monty Morris, same deal, $10 million contract-ish, expiring deal, veteran backcourt presence significant upgrade from the rotation of randos that they had last year, like the Corey Joseph's and all those guys, Diallo, right? Clear upgrade there. You, you exhaust all of your cap space and you have this backlog of guys where like, where are the minutes going? Like, I don't like, I have to assume that multiple guys that played in the top eight of their rotation last year are going to be traded before the start of the season. I see no other logic than that. You know, whether it's Bogdanovich, Stewart, like Marvin Bagley Jr., like a couple of these guys are going to have to go. Like th- right. it just doesn't make any sense because in the NBA is the opposite of is, is the opposite of, of Major League Baseball. Right. Like you need to get your young guys minutes early on. Like, yeah, OK, maybe Thompson does a year in the G League. But for the by year two, for sure, if he is not getting regular minutes, then something has gone wrong. So you're going to have to clear clear some guys out. So I just I. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I, I will say, going back to Monty, just really quickly, uh, texting with a buddy of mine who's a big, big Pistons fan, and he called it a franchise-saving decision uh, to hire to spend the money on Monty Williams. And so, and I tend to concur that they they were they were on the precipice of really falling off with the wrong decision there, and some of the names they were entertaining would have been exactly that. So, um, coaching, love it. Getting Cade back healthy, love it. Love the draft as much as you can for the talent available, but the roster composition is just broken. It is broken beyond belief. And, and, and it may take one year for Monty to kind of work through the roster to better sure. understand it before doing anything "quote unquote" drastic, you know, type yeah. of thing. And 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 to your point, you 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 are still we're, we're just at the beginning of, of the NBA year. In fact, when you go out and you look at transactions, nothing's out there because you can't post anything until the eighth of July. Um, I, I I and and I I just think that and and I think the positive part will be you got a guy like Monty in here who has a much better idea. I think of the personnel around the um around the NBA. Than maybe unfortunately your 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 general manager does, 
Um, I think your general manager is very comfortable with scouting uh, college talent, uh, <clears throat> but not necessarily um, um, some of the uh, uh, you know pro pro talent. I, I were were you disappointed? Were you or was there uh, frustration with the whole Cam Johnson ordeal? I, I guess I, I no not not about him specifically. You know, I think, and maybe again, this is Troy Weaver with a big brain, right? the roster is so messy and broken that you actually can't pinpoint what they should do. I mean, that's a great strategy to throw us off the scent, right? Like, you know what the Tigers need. You know what the Red Wings need, right? I, I don't know, like, sign Cam Johnson. Sure. I, okay. You know, let's have, you know, 16 guys that can play. Like, I, I don't, I can't even tell you. Like, I, I wanted to be able to come on here and say, I would have liked for the Pistons to have been more aggressive in, restricted free agency, right? I would have liked them to have put pressure on the Lakers for Reeves or put pressure on the Nets for Johnson, but I can't even say that because I don't even like to what end, to to what roster composition? Like what I do I think Cam Johnson could fit here? Sure. Do I think he's got some things that they need? Sure. But like it all depends on who are you moving out and for what you're getting in return to make the space to pay Cam Johnson 120 million over however many years, right? So I would say theoretically, I would have liked for more aggression in, 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 in offer sheets and things of that nature, or even in free agency, though things teams are tending to hang on to their own talent right now, but I can't even tell you what, what I would, what I would like because their roster, I don't know who is the future and who is not the future. Like other than maybe Cunningham, like and Duran, maybe, I don't know. Like it's just, it's a mess. You can't even you can't even jump up and down on them because you don't even know what the right restricted move would have been would have been because of the roster confusion. Well, and it might you know, and I, I think I'm I'm just wondering out loud is is you you absolutely probably need to go through one season with Ivy with Cunningham and with Durant on the court to really understand then what are the pieces that you're in need of of feeling right because right. you know when you think about the Durant piece. Is he a center? Is he a um, you know a power forward? You know that 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 sort of thing. And of course, the, the big question to me has been since they drafted Jane and Ivy is that what does Jane and Ivy and Kate Cunningham look like on the court sure. at the same time? I, I don't think anyone knows that. I don't even know if Monty Monty knows what that looks no. like. And I think to get all excited. To, to do that, that you you need to just go do an action for the sake of doing an action. This is where these smaller moves with one year, you know, left on the contracts. I'm not having a whole lot of heartburn because if you don't know what your centerpiece is, how what the heck are you supposed to do with the company pieces? So, yeah, but I, but it's the same self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like you can't allow guys to even play in their correct role, like. Like one thing, just to like let's let's say they were leaning towards action, right? And I don't know if Brooks Lopez would have had any interest in coming here. Probably not. Maybe if you added another fifteen million to his contract, right? But if you move some of the 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 just the the clog of your your front court out of the way, and you put a guy like Brooks Lopez next to Jalen Duran in your starting five, watch what happens. Brooks Lopez was number three in like defensive efficiency last year, even though he's older than dirt. And he can hit three pointers at almost a forty percent clip. Watch what happens when you put a guy like that next to Jalen Duran, right? But you can't 
because you have Stewart and Bagley and Wiseman. Like, it just, you know, you can't even do anything interesting because you're just clogged with, with, with guys. Like, they're going to have to break up Wiseman, Stewart, and Bagley. Like, that has to happen. But they're going to do – I don't know what they're going to do with it now because the free agency market's drying up already. So it's just uh, – you're probably – you're right, Ed. I mean, we're probably looking at another sub-30 win season. Um, and they will be approaching, you know, historically bad across all four sports in sports history if they do that. They're, they're real close. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult not to win 20 games in the NBA considering how many other teams are tanking along with you at the same time. Oh, I, I mean, sure. I, I, I think in that decks, I mean, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're on one, on one page, you have to do a wait and see with the, this team. But on the other side, if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, then Troy Weaver's going to have to go find. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's the bottom line, right? Is that, um, you, you're 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 putting most of your chips on the table that that Monty's going to be able to figure out how to play these guys along with the rest of the pieces that he has, right? And if it doesn't work out, uh, you you've got to do something with Troy Weaver. He has to either you know sit in the same office as John Beeline and Dwayne Casey and just you know tell tales, or <laughs> I mean, sure. Or, or just get rid of them, right? So that that that's what this comes out. So yeah, I got. I mean, I would have been, I'd have been happy if they went out and, and re-signed Jeremy Grant. You know, again, they're going to have to move some of these guys, anyways. But just right. something, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. So I, I'm look. I I think if they if they're going to do something, they're going to deal some combination of Bogdanovich, Stewart, and Bagley. Um, the way they're loading up on three-point shooting does not is not coherent with keeping Bogdanovich. It really doesn't make sense because you have just picked up three guys. I mean, Sass was a, a college player, but is someone who's projected to shoot between 37 and 40 percent uh, as an NBA player. And then you go get Joe Harris, who shoots like 42, 43 percent from three. And then you go out and get Monty Morris, who's just around 40 percent as a three-point shooter. So, you know, I would be really surprised if um, – if Bogdanovich was on the roster uh, next season, so correct. Yep. Go get a go get a wing defender, please, for the love of God. So, congratulations! You just identified a need on the Pistons. <laughs> a starting a starting center, a good power forward, a wing defender, and a couple um, of guards. Maybe, yeah. And this is this is just the crazy thing too is that they're going to win twenty games next year. Who knows? Then maybe they lock into the first pick next year. So which other number one pick or top five pick are you getting rid of to get that guy playing time? Maybe we get rid of Ivy next year when we get the top guard in the draft. Like, what do you do with all these guys? Like, at some point, like, my brain's going to, don't understand. Can we trade some of them to the Red Wings? Like, I don't know, the Tigers? Like, can we teach Cade Cunningham how to hit a fastball? Like, I don't know. Help, please, God. So, with all of that, let's move on. I don't want to talk about any more Detroit sports teams. Let's move on to something that makes a lot more sense. Golf. Oh, wait. 
So the big news out of golf obviously has been the proposed merger between the PGA and the LIV, the live circuit, which um, was quite surprising to say the least. Um, You know, the two entities have been suing each other continuously uh, the last couple of years. um, And the PGA has taken a really aggressive stance against the LIV for basically being the quote unquote sports washing by the Saudis uh, and, and Bin Suleiman who basically controls um, LIV through, um, through the Saudi Arabia public investment fund, which is not a public investment fund. Um, it's a fund for the Saudi Royal family to invest in whatever they want, which did start in part in public projects in Saudi Arabia and and is largely what that fund does, about 60% of it. Um, However, they have uh, continued to really broaden their scope in terms of what they invest in. And without diving too deeply into the the politics of all of this, it's it's very reasonable to assume that Saudi Arabia is 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 cooking the books in terms of what kind of oil reserves they have, because obviously oil is there by far number one uh, cash crop, if you will. Um, and they have maintained for the last thirty years that their oil reserves remain steady, despite the fact that they've been producing a lot of oil. When um, we've had oil sor- shortages and what have you, they have not increased production. When it has been, when it would have benefited them to increase production, they have not increased production. All I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise me if they significantly started to run out of oil in the next 20 to 30 years. And this is their opportunity to embed themselves all throughout the, the global economy. And th- what a great way to do that by merging with one of the most successful and powerful sports organizations in the world in the PGA. Now, how did that happen? Well, that's a great question because the PGA has taken a very anti, hey, we don't think you should go and kill people secretly stance hey, we don't think you should do all of the really crazy, dark sort of things that you guys do in backroom deals. And, and the PGA was very vocal about, hey, we're, we're good guys. These guys are bad guys. Um, and yet, here they are getting into bed with them. And it kind of reminds me of Phil Mickelson. And, and remember when, when this tour was created, he said, I don't want to get in bed with these MFers. I mean, I mean literally that's, that's what he said. And then oh, <laughs> what happened? I personally have a really hard time with hypocrisy. Like I just, I can't. And this is why I've been railing against the NCAA since we were in college. <laughs> like, like the hypocrisy of it just drives me nuts. And now the hypocrisy of what's going on and doing it backroom dealing. The players didn't know, you know, some of the people who are majorly behind the PGA didn't know 
sponsors didn't know. And then here we are. Mm. This is gross. And, and, you know, Justin, what was remarkable was the reactions after the announcement. And everyone knew what was going on, right? And it was plain as day as to how this was going to happen. And I'm like, time out. We have a multi-billion dollar nonprofit North America-based operation with a non-centric tour that has absolutely no value at this point other than the money that's being spent on the players, merging with a, in my mind, a less sophisticated way of saying a slush fund from the Middle East. And, oh, by the way, the PGA Tour, the multi-billion dollar, most established, basically, they have a player board who, by the way, they've yet to vote on any of this. They will need to vote on it. And no one, not one player from that board was brought in, as far as we know, to even remotely be consulted with, whether it be Roy McElroy whether it be Tiger Woods, whether it be anyone of consequence on the PGA Tour that would have a major significant financial interest in anything of this happening. <clears throat> but everyone knew how it was going to work and so on and so forth. And oh, by the way, here we are almost a month later. There's really no pathway at, at this point that has been talked about how this is going to carry forward to be remotely successful. Other than, and of course, then Jay Monaghan, within about 10 days of it, all of a sudden, is put on medical leave. Wow. And I mean, to me, I think this is the first inning of this story. And I think there's way more to be told. And unfortunately, no one is going to come back and go, oh, I was wrong. I, I, I was a little complacent in terms of my thinking that this is a turnkey solution. Um. That's all I'll say. I, I, I found the coverage of it absolutely abominable. <clears throat> and the only thing worse was the actual quote unquote negotiation and dealing itself. So it, it it and that's actually a really other really important point you made there, Adam, is what a great way to make tax free money if you are Ben Suleiman. I mean, because the PGA is a 501c6. And so it basically goes into that that pretty protected status of we can do whatever we want, not pay taxes on it status that a 501c6 affords you by being a collective a sports. I mean, it's, it's literally carved out for that specific purpose. Um, and now they're going to own a significant portion of that. I mean, that just throws all kinds of, and Congress is is obviously kind of like, whoa, whoa where's our piece, right? Like, um, so so that's even in question here too, because unless the, the wheels are greased of Congress, they are pushing back against this. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Senate responds to that. Um, now, when when the Saudi Arabia, when this very same fund gave, uh, entered into a contract with one of Jared Kushner's private companies for $2 billion that was um, seen as basically the Saudi royal family had to come in and overrule the Saudi PIF's board 
because they thought it was a terrible deal. It just makes you wonder if that money is being funneled somewhere to help make this happen. So it's just, there's a lot of murkiness in all of this. I don't know. Just, you know, just the one thing that struck me is, you know, beyond just the disgustingness of it and the grossness that you two have illuminated, you know, it's just how ultimately this deal actually just bails out horrific decision-making on both sides. Like, just horrific decision-making. Like, the PGA very incorrectly viewed Liv as an existential threat. The Liv product was garbage. It was hot garbage. They were getting no, they were not getting more than 300,000 viewers on their events. Like, it wasn't, they weren't even a drop in the bucket against what the PGA was doing. But the PGA went for the knockout punch early, which spurred all these lawsuits, which is ultimately the given reason why the PGA came to the table is because they couldn't afford to pay for the lawsuits that they incited. They could have backed out. And, and, Liv, and Liv built a garbage product. Terrible. Not, un, almost unwatchable to me. And I know a lot of golf fans feel the same way. It's just like, just terrible decision making. And then they bail each other out. Ultimately, the Saudis get what they want. And I guess the tour gets what it wants. They don't have to pay legal bills anymore or something. You know? No, there's something else going on here, and I don't know what it is. It just it just doesn't make any sense. There like, is something else at play here. It there is something else at play here. I just oh, don't by, know what it is. And by the way, had the PGA been actually playing, paying their players what they should have, some of them may not have jumped ship to live. Maybe they still do because maybe a couple of the guys who are getting the absolutely stupid money, you know, like Mickelson and Kepka and. Um, Alter, right? Money, money talks, yeah. Right, but still, like, you know, they they can afford to pay the pay their players more for those tournaments, and they did, right? And again, that would have strengthened their overall position, but they wanted to get by. They wanted to exploit just a little more, right? And it's just like, but to what end, right? And it just it makes no sense. Shareholder, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, honestly, they they played the PGA Tour, played the baseball orders, and. Every other oval, we're, we're not going to show you the books. But then all of a sudden, okay, here we are, you know, within a year. I mean, the purses go skyrocketing, right? But now, oh, well, you know, the legal fees and whatever. I mean, I, I you do wonder, and I think the ultimate hypocrisy is Jimmy Dunn. Here, Jimmy Dunn is a guy luckier than they happens to be playing golf the day the Twin Towers gets uh, blasted down in 9 11. Everyone he works with, is gone because of, of you know the 9-11 and here he is in in the in the thicket if you will doing this negotiation i i there's so much stink as part of this and uh um and it's a shame and you know I, I gotta i have to get this out of my mouth because it's just gonna eat me if i don't and i am not a tin hat wearing conspiracy theorist Eighteen of the nineteen hijackers came from what country again? What's it? Oh, I'm sorry. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. Every presidential, every president in the last however many years has made deals with this government, with this family, very lucrative 
deals. This isn't accidental. The Bushes, the Clintons have huge ties to the Saudi family. I mean, this isn't like some, there is, there are things going on that we don't know about as a public that we don't understand that are in play here. And it just makes me really nervous. Like there's some bad business going on here. Um, And I don't know why. Um, and, And we could speculate again. And I offered some of that speculation earlier, but like, I don't know. I don't know. And viewership is way up in golf right now too. And Adam, I know you wanted to touch on that. Um, ratings going up. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you've got, and I, I think I, I've always held something very, very significant with one specific player is that you have player, you have, you have teams in the NFL. You're much better off when they're playing football because like the Dallas Cowboys or, or the Steelers or even the Raiders, you know, those, those, those are the teams that when they're doing, playing well, the league is better. And that's true know, in every league. Tr- tr- absolutely. No, no, Coastal no, no. Teams, I, I mean, the NBA, yeah. the NBA has their teams, the Celtics were, were much, you know, the league is much better off when they're playing well. Uh, and, and, and we can go through the whole gamut. Right. Um, but it, in golf, I really truly believe that that when Ricky Fowler is playing good golf, the, the 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 golf world is in much much better shape. And, and I in in oh, oh Justin Thomas uh, Rom no no those guys pale in comparison to the fan appeal of Ricky Fowler, and that was true with the U.S. Open uh, when he was in that final group and and he was competing for that that that, that title. Ratings were up thirty percent year over year, uh, and no doubt. I mean, we're we're watching the you know we're we're down to the last couple holes of the Rocket Mortgage, uh, where he's a a, a major uh, uh, obviously sp- uh, he's a, his sponsor is, is Rocket Mortgage, so he'll probably be playing at Detroit Golf Club for <clears throat> the next several years. But no doubt, much of that crowd that showed up wanted to watch golf, but certainly. It did not hurt by any stretch of the means that maybe one of the most popular guys in golf, Ricky Bauer, was right at the top. And it is has been a real, real joy to watch this guy get his golf game turned around. But in the end, golf is a much better sport because Ricky Fowler has um, his golf game in check. So um, that, that was I, I'm going to I'm going to lean into Justin's conspiracy theories and go back to the U.S. Open. So for four days, I heard a buzzing noise for four consecutive days on TV. And maybe that's what this is all about, is that the Saudis merge with the PGA, and then they start this buzzing noise that we heard for four days on primetime television that are feeding messages to our brain. That's what this Subliminal is. Subliminal messages. That's what right. it really is. Yep. Also, the word Bermuda grass. We actually set a record in humanity uh, for the number of times you can say Bermuda in a four-day period. So let's put all these pieces together. Let's get the whiteboard going and let's map this out. I got the, the red cousin, string. Bermuda. So we can, and the thumbtacks. What's in Bermuda? The triangle, right? Okay. It's so you got true. the buzzing, you've got the triangle, and you've got potentially the worst golf course that's ever hosted a major. You've got all the things you need. Get out the red string, like you said. Yeah, that was the last thing I was going to say. I, I hope it got it, but they are on the schedule. 
25th year or something, but the LA Country Club, I, I could do without that. California will probably fall into the ocean by 2050. So. There's a pretty decent chance, yeah, <laughs> of that. That's true. I mean, the San Andreas, I mean, it's it, the Teutonic plates there. But again, I'm not even going to go down that road. Um, Frisco's going to get leveled again, which I don't know if anyone will be sad about that. Um, but I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, one of my very closest friends lives in San Francisco, so I'd really prefer it not fall into the ocean. Um, but um, anyway, where were we again? <laughs> Buzzing in Bermuda. Buzzing Bermuda, U.S. Open. Uh, also, can someone talk to Xander Shoffley about how to reset your thinking when attempting to get out of a bunker. Um, I don't That's watch. That's actually really good. I don't not, watch. Not the tin cup method. No, I don't watch uh, majors to watch players do something I do and can do. I watch them to actually effectively get out of the bunker. Please, Xander, listen to reason. I don't know. It humanizes <laughs> the game a little, right? I guess I, I will tell you I watch quite a bit of the early rounds, and it's amazing to me when you're watching the early rounds, um, you know, or, you know, on Thursday and Friday, and a lot of the coverage that it's really remarkable of uh, the very human golf performance that you see out there. Um, and and if you wait till the weekend, that means you got guys that are playing pretty good at that point. So hopefully you're you're seeing less of the uh, subterfuge, if you will. But uh, it it is they're far from perfect. So so yeah. So on that note, um, I think we've pretty well obliterated these topics. Um, I think that. Um, you know, our takeaways here is that there's some serious weirdness, uh, some serious nonsense going on in the golf world right now that'll be very interesting to keep our eyes on. And I certainly will be watching very closely to see what happens next and to see which senators certain uh, bank accounts suddenly balloon uh, unexpectedly so that certain votes will pass. Um I think that's just kind of where we are in the world right now when it comes to American politics and dark money and all that good stuff. Um, and then, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop any further political commentary about how PPP loans being forgiven is not socialism, but student loans being forgiven is socialism. I just want you to know that. Just to be very clear. I'm sorry. I'm just going to stop now. <sighs> Do you want Even to start talking about the Pistons, Wings, or Tigers again? It's probably for the best. And, and the sad thing being that the executive branch probably doesn't have the authority to waive student loans, but if from a constitutional standpoint, but yet. Let's say they waive the student loans. You have the cap space. What are you going to do with it? You're going to put more <laughs> of it into subsidies for the oil industry. I mean, obviously. Because, you know, the U.S. government puts billions of dollars a year into the oil industry in subsidies. But that's not socialism either. Because, wait a minute. 
Never mind. Can the Forgiven Bunny be used to sign players for one of the Tigers, Pistons, or whatever? Actually, yes. Yes, because most major league teams got major bail. Almost every major franchise got massive government bailouts and get that massive government money. Like, let's say to build a stadium, massive government money. Let, let's say you wanted to move your team, hypothetically, from Oakland uh, to, I don't know, Vegas. Um, hypothetically, you would get billions of free money from the government for that. Anyway. I just can't sign Damian Lillard. I'm sorry. We've we've just completely gone off the rails now. I apologize for that. But that's kind of just where we are in the world right now. Now we did it. Now now was the moment. Now five minutes ago. <laughs> five minutes ago we went <laughs> off the rails completely. Okay. 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 The Pistons have the first the world's first twelve man rotation. The Red Wings refused to sign somebody who could score twenty goals. The Tigers refused to put a legitimate major league hitter in the lineup, established major league hitter who can still hit in the lineup. I mean, because Cabrera was obviously at one point in time in his career, one of the greatest hitters of all time. So I'm not saying that that's the case, but currently today they don't have. That's what I'm ready for. Yeah. And here we are. See, this is what happens, Detroit. When you don't put a legitimate sporting product on the field in any four of your sports, we start talking about conspiracy theories and terrorism and politics and constitutional law. And like, this is what happens. This is what happens. We're gonna to have to change the show to name the tin hats, the colors to to it. So, like, I'm just gonna go choose some tin foil right now and see what happens. Works really well with my um, with the implants that I have, my dental implant that causes sparks. I'm just gonna go do that for the next three hours and just see how that turns out. That's where we're at right now. <sighs> I think we can put it into the show. So. I got. Please, someone put me out of my misery. Please, for the love of God, take us home because we're done. So the next time we meet, assuming the world doesn't end, um, obviously we'll we'll really know whether or not Stevie is done feeling. We'll see what Trey Weaver has done next because, I mean, if there's one thing we know about Trey Weaver, he's going to make more moves. I mean, clearly – he would be really bored if he didn't, and that just is unacceptable. We'll see what trades the Tigers do make for the trade deadline. Um, really don't know what's going to happen. Really don't know. Uh, we'll see how many more starting pitchers need Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, we'll we'll just be getting into you know training camp and all that good stuff with football, uh, NFL, seeing what's going on there. We'll see, you know, how many more people the Saudi government murders uh, in its pursuit of this merger. I'm probably not allowed to say that. Um, that's a podcast, so I guess maybe I can. Um, 
if, if we were being governed by the FCC, I probably couldn't say that, but that's a whole other ball of wax. And whatever other sport things are going on. Sounds Should good. we talk tennis? <laughs> no? Okay, maybe not. No? You don't want to no. talk about the U.S. Open and tennis? Okay. Anyway. We're underway with Wimbledon. Let Wimbledon simmer a little bit before we okay. uh, I mean, if you really want to, you know, we can talk about the Tour de France, too. But Ooh, yes. Way. Yes. <laughs> Who is taking the most steroids right now in the Tour? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, on that well, note. Well, maybe not steroids. <laughs> other performance-enhancing drugs. I'm sorry. On that note, thank you for listening to this edition, which I really hope you turned off this podcast about 10 <laughs> minutes ago because it was actually pretty good up until that point. And then it just, it went every direction wrong. So hopefully you stopped listening and you're not listening to me say thank you for listening to this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium, where we only deal in the highest quality products. For Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee, my name's Justin Lee. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.